Welcome to Into Security, Info Security Magazine's podcast. Hello and a very warm welcome to the latest episode of Into Security, Info Security Magazine's podcast series. Uh, a big welcome to our, our viewers for this, our first uh, podcast episode of the year. Uh, it's Michael Hill here. I'm the editor of the magazine and I'm joined today by my colleague James. Hi, James. Hi, Michael. Really good to be here. And uh, for everyone, anyone who hasn't heard me on, on the podcast before, my name is James Coker and I'm a reporter at Info Security Magazine. I'm very pleased to be here for this, to discuss this important topic. Absolutely right. So today we are going to be exploring a very important topic in, indeed. Um, and that's very much to mark the beginning of, of Black History Month in the USA. Obviously, that's taken place throughout the month of February this year. And uh, for this podcast episode, we want to you know, focus on the topic of uh, racial diversity within the cybersecurity industry and, and kind of where we find ourselves now and get some fantastic thought and insight from, from two guest speakers who I'm delighted are able to join us for this episode. So we are joined today by Larry Whiteside Jr. and Camille Stewart. So I think what I'll do first is just ask Larry and Camille to quickly introduce themselves. Um, Larry, should we start with you? Sure, sure. Uh, so my name is Larry Whiteside Jr. Uh, I am the CTO and CSO of an organization called CyberClan. Uh, that's what you know I do on a day-to-day basis from a pay standpoint. But the thing that brings me the most passion and fulfillment is I am the uh, co-founder and president of an organization called ICMCP. It's an international consortium of minority cybersecurity professionals. And our entire mission is to increase diversity in the field of cybersecurity. And so we do that through scholarship, jobs, training, and things of that nature. Fantastic. Great to have you here with us today, Larry. And Camille, just a quick intro from yourself. Thank you both for having me on. Um, And it's a pleasure to share the stage with Larry. So uh, hi, everyone. I'm Camille Stewart. I'm the head of security policy and election integrity for Google Play and Android at Google. I also am uh, a cyber fellow at Harvard and have worked um, across government and industry. I'm one of the co-founders of the Share the Mic in Cyber campaign, um, and I also am a co-founder of Diversity and National Security Network, an organization that aims to increase diversity and national security, um, among a few other things. Well, fantastic. Very, uh, very pleased to have you both with us uh, here today. Um, Okay, so let's get straight into the discussion then. Um, Obviously, a highly important topic, uh, quite a complex topic to to be looking at here. Uh, But I'm keen to get a few thoughts from from both of you just to kind of set the scene on where we find ourselves today. So 2021, you know, the modern cybersecurity sector and where we find ourselves with regards to uh, racial diversity and all the factors that are coming into play. And Camille, can we get some opening thoughts from you? We have a lot of work to do, to be frank, um, not only in as a matter of the workforce, but as a matter of uh, policy and how we think about the tools that we've built and how we implement them. Bias can be um, instituted in, in a number of ways. And so until we're fully able to address and talk about issues of race, we have a lot of work to do. I will say, though, that what has been heartening is in the wake of the murders of George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, and others, um, through campaigns like Share the Mic in Cyber and others, we've seen the cyber community really rise to the occasion and want to figure out how uh, to give voice to their diverse colleagues and to really make a change in the industry. So I'm excited by the action we've seen thus far, but hoping that that momentum won't slow down. 
Sure, great. Thanks, um, Camille. No doubt some points that we'll, we'll uh, touch on in a bit more detail in a few minutes' time. And um, Larry, just a few uh, thoughts from you as well, just to just to kind of see where you see the lay of the land at the moment. Yeah, I'll echo Camille's thoughts and comments, right? We, we have work to do, but it has been extremely gratifying and satisfying to see uh, my white male counterparts who uh, have historically not been a part of the problem, right, but have sat back and not really taken active action to now recognize that sitting back and not taking active action is actually still part of the problem. And so unless you are part of the solution, which means leaning forward, right, being right, being active, giving voice to uh, those people in your organization, and then utilizing your own voice and platform as a white male in America in the field of cyber to say this is a problem and jump on board to try and do something. And so I've seen that a lot more than I ever have. Thanks a lot, Larry. I think I think that's a really important point that racial diversity is, is a big issue for everyone, no matter um, what what ethnic group you're from. I want to ask both of you, obviously the cybersecurity sector in many ways is a relatively new sector, but I wanted to see what your thoughts were on what the particular barriers to entry in this in this area are for, for those from ethnic minority communities. Perhaps if I could start with you, Camille. So you know, anytime you're trying to enter into a, a system that wasn't built for you, it can be tough. So a lot of the folks that uh, were first in this field or have gained prominence, more, I would say more so in this field, are white males. And it created a culture that can be othering to folks with different backgrounds. So there's yeah. one way. Um, also, there are barriers that are you know common across industries, like financial barriers, um, and that cultural barrier grows wider when you intersect it with some of the socioeconomic and cultural issues. So the fact that you need a certification that requires five years of experience to get an entry-level job is a problem for all of us, but particularly a problem for communities um, that don't have the networks to kind of jump over that five-year hurdle or maybe to get the financial backing to get the certification Thinking about cybersecurity as a problem space, it requires a multidisciplinary approach. And so not only multidisciplinary from the perspective of let's engage lawyers and let's engage folks um, that have technical backgrounds and let's engage people across these kind of traditional disciplines, but also the differences in our backgrounds also give lens to how problems will manifest themselves and how we can ideate and innovate around solutions um, to solving those problems and closing those vulnerabilities. And so when we create these closed cultures, it's a barrier to entry, but also a problem for how we solve them. Um, but I'll, I'll say that you know many of the traditional problems, so financial issues, networks that are closed, opportunities and access, even just understanding that cybersecurity is an industry and a space that you can play in, um, exposure in school to coding, and what cybersecurity means in practice are all um, barriers to even finding your way to cybersecurity as a profession. That that right there is the important part, right? So so in underserved communities, just finding your way to the field is the largest barrier that exists. If you think about people who are coming into this field and why there are more of of one uh, diverse, more or less diverse cultures coming in versus white counterparts. It's because the circle of influence in which they are surrounded that are going to enable them to even know that this field exists is small, 
when I go into underserved communities, when I go into underserved uh, churches and I begin to talk to them about uh, career fields and I talk to them about just cyber safety, right? I use that as a, as a, you know, a carrot to start helping them understand that there's this field called cybersecurity, but you would be amazed at how few underserved communities even know that this field exists for them to go into. And so the fact that, you know, you've got a large percentage of this diverse population that has no clue about this field, period, is the first part of the problem. And so there needs to be education in our communities where people are going and helping these schools, right? Because if you're coming from an underserved school that doesn't have a good education pipeline, doesn't have books, doesn't have a lot of the things that we take for granted as just basic components of education, the likelihood that those kids are going to know that this field exists is almost zero. So we've got to start there. The next piece, a lot of it, Camille mentioned, right? These other barriers that have been created through the growth and maturity of this industry, right? Certifications. Certifications are, they were built as a mechanism to um, really get people trained and demonstrate a certain level of skill. But what they've become, right, because of the way HR utilizes them, is a right stat, left stat. You're either in or you're out. Whether you you either have, it's the haves and the have-nots. And because certifications cost money, right? So if you don't have the money to get one of the certifications right outside of the CISSP, which, you know, is has that five-year barrier. So let's take a smaller certification. If you don't have the money to get that certification, then you're a have-not, right? So how do you just get the resources to enable you to go and pay for the, not just the class, but then to test for the certification itself, Right. So now let's let's say you do have it. Let's say you are a person who who has a certification. And I actually literally just had a conversation with a gentleman last night, and he's transitioning from uh, another career field into cybersecurity. And he went and got his degree. He went and got certifications. He did all this on his own, and he still for a year has not been able to get a job. And so now you come into all of those other cultural barriers, those other barriers that have been created, right? maybe inadvertently, right, across this industry um, that has had people and is sort of pushing the diverse communities to the side because, hey, they don't have the background. Hey, they don't have the amount of experience, right, of their white counterparts who've been in this field. They're coming from fields that are not technology-based fields. And so when they're coming in and they're trying to get their foot in the door just to be, just to start, Right. They are already, you know, five steps back because of all of these other uh, unconscious biases and other things that have been built in. I think it's a really, really important point made there. And um, thank, thanks so much for, for sharing those. And I think that actually leads us on quite, quite nicely to, to, to what I kind of see as the, you know, kind of one of the more, you know, key and important um, issues here is obviously, you know, the importance of having diversity and, you know, what benefits it can bring. So I guess my, my next question is, you know, how does greater diversity and inclusion improve outcomes that are imperative to, to business success? And not only those exclusively associated with just building a diverse workforce, but actually, you know, the, the, the actual real life benefits that it can can bring about. Um, Camille, should we come to you for that? Sure. I mean, there have been a number of studies about how diversity at all levels of an organization improve the company's bottom line. Um, and cybersecurity is no different. The innovation that comes from diverse perspectives, the ability to spot 
vulnerabilities and issues because of how a product will be used by a different community and understanding how it moves through that community and how they interpret it. Because how you intended a technology or a tool does not necessarily mean that's how it'll be used. I think WhatsApp is a really good example. WhatsApp is an encrypted messaging service and many of us use it, but in immigrant communities, it is a lifeline to your family abroad. And it has become a place where people send what amounts to the modern day uh, chain letter, right? You're getting a lot of random forwards, you get a lot of images from family members. And within that is a lot of information about things that are really important, like COVID. Um, there's a lot of COVID-19 misinformation spreading and misinformation in general. And I imagine um, that that use, the way that it moves through immigrant communities was not an intent by WhatsApp and probably not understood until someone who under who either observed or was part of those communities flagged that when my aunt abroad sends me this information through WhatsApp, I'm going to take it with a level of authority because of the respect I have for her and not only ingest that information that might be misinformation about COVID or otherwise, but also send it with the other people that I care about. And so understanding how that information was moving through their platform and being able to do that early because you have folks of different backgrounds is a great illustration of why it's really important to have diverse perspectives represented throughout the chain, both at the leadership level and you know, at the working level. It's not just a workforce issue as bias permeates how we use technology, how we implement technology, um, how we understand technology, we can never truly create mitigations that fully solve the problem or be able to articulate how much of the vulnerability we've remediated if we don't understand the full breadth of how it is operating in systems that are um, built with systemic racism involved in them, right? So um, both from a workforce perspective and the richness that happens through innovation and the 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 positive hit to the bottom line, but also just in the efficacy of outcomes, it is an imperative. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, Lara, just just to come to you on that on that point before we look to move on, I guess you know this is at the heart of of you know conversations around diversity in all forms. But obviously, you know, we're talking uh, today, you know, racial diversity is as you know, you know, for modern businesses that are you know diverse in in, in so many different ways, you know, for for business success and like um, Camille said, they're the bottom line. It needs a diverse uh, workforce to reflect that and to develop and, and, and grow into the future. Right. Yeah. And, and to echo everything she said, right, everything she said is spot on because the reality is this. WhatsApp is a great example of, of an app that is used in ways that is probably not the way that the developers um, uh, initially felt or envisioned. But one of the things that I like to say is that everyone has a different lens you've got a different lens based on your age you've got a different lens based on your gender you've got a different lens based on your race you've got a different lens based on your upbringing and your background and all those things it's those different lenses that is the reason that diversity is important because everybody's going to can look at the same thing but based on that lens that they are coming from and that they, they, they are seeing things through, they are going to see it differently. And so them being able to have an input in the development and the outcome to solve uh, associated problems, especially in cybersecurity, as the problems are growing faster than we can keep up, 
It's important. It's just extremely important. Organizations have to recognize that and they have to recognize because one of the, the, the challenges that we have is that as we continue to push for diversity in cyber is that inclusion piece. I know a number of organizations, right, that look at diversity as a number. Oh, well, we, we've hit a percentage, so we're good. But what they what they didn't do is when they bring that, that diverse community in to be part of the organization, they don't include them and make them feel as though they are part of the decision making. They don't make them feel as if they are part of really being part of the bottom line of the organization. And so it's important to recognize that that you know, as you try and become more, more diverse and you recognize that doing it is going to help your bottom line, it only helps if you're inclusive of Yeah, absolutely, Larry. And obviously, as, as, as you and Camille outlined, all the big benefits it can have to organizations to have a much more diverse workforce. There will obviously be people listening who, who will be thinking of practical ways that they can improve racial diversity within their organizations and obviously it is a very multifaceted issue as as you both mentioned if i could ask come to you again larry um could, would you be able to highlight the most positive initiatives that you've seen um have a meaningful effect in improving racial diversity in the in the cyber industry yeah so f- from my perspective it is when um, I've seen some of my white male counterparts, right, they, they have taken active strides and active steps to to reach down into their organizations and begin having dialogue and begin uh, begin allowing themselves to be uncomfortable, right, and have conversations that they weren't having before. And so what happens is by them allowing themselves to become uncomfortable and open up a safe space for this dialogue around diversity, around the need for it, around inclusion, around the need for it, they begin to see things differently. They begin to recognize aspects of unconscious bias that they didn't know they had. They begin to recognize aspects of unconscious bias that were happening inside their own organizations, right? Because that's the thing about unconscious bias. That bias is one that is built within us based on everything that we've gone through up until the point that we're sitting in right then. And because you don't necessarily always see it and know it until somebody else calls it out. But a lot of times people won't call it out because you have not built a, a zone of comfort, right? You have not built something that enables people to feel comfortable in calling out some of those biases. And so for, for my white male C-level executive counterparts that are CEOs and CISOs of different you know, cyber companies or big organizations, as they've done that, and they've begun to make themselves uncomfortable, and but allow that uncomfortableness to shape them, their organizations have begun to thrive because they begin to have these dialogues, they begin to open up these conversations that A, empowered their diverse workforce, right? It made them feel more included in a lot of the things that were going on, and it actually helped them have better outcomes uh, uh, in a lot of the things that they were trying to do for the organization. Thanks, Larry. That's really positive to hear. Camille, would you be able to mention any any particular initiatives that you, you think have had the most been most impactful in this area? Well, first, I agree with Larry. I mean, being open to the discomfort and to making mistakes, um, however that manifests itself in a program or when you're in your organization, those are the things that are most successful. We are all going to make mistakes in encou- engaging in this dialogue and opening yourself up to making those mistakes, approaching the conversation with integrity and humility, 
and a genuine desire to advance the, um, the discourse around this and to move to action is the best way for us all to make progress. We cannot be afraid to have tough conversations, to call out and say that things um, are impacted by systemic racism and how race is you know, working and moving in our society and in this industry. And the more I see folks willing to engage in those discussions candidly and, and like I said, with humility and integrity, I've seen really positive outcomes and folks getting creative with how that manifests itself. I've seen um, a number of funders really funding cybersecurity programs. I've seen you know, things like the Share the Mic where people are leveraging their platform and inviting new voices to the table, not just through that campaign, but by you know, inviting them to speak and leveraging their network to make connections and helping them get board seats. And I think just folks understanding that they as individuals can be a part of the solution, much like cybersecurity, that the actions of one are tied to our national security and to the broader global security. We have to realize that advancing in this area means that your actions as an individual are intertwined and inextricably linked to advancing an industry or our society. So you, whether you have C-suite power or not, can elevate the voices of your colleagues in a meeting or to your leadership. And even more so, if you do have C-suite power, can change the tide of your entire organization. So people who are actively engaging and unafraid or acting despite that fear and discomfort um, are making the most progress. That, yeah, that's really, really interesting. And there's a couple more points that, that, that we were looking to, to, to kind of cover here. And one of those was very much kind of looking at what more needs to be done and whom. But I think uh, just hearing both of you there, you, you very much hit the nail on the head with regards to, I think, you know, the, the, the first step is that more kind of, uh, you know, open and honest dialogue about the issue. And then, you know, the next step is obviously open and honest action as well, putting action into place. So I think we've actually addressed that that very well. So I, I think I'm actually going to look to, to, to get some final thoughts from you both on, on on where you see now the industry and and whether you think honestly it's uh, you know moving in the right direction with regards to you know uh, racial um, diversity obviously you know right back at the, at the start Camille you said we got a way to go and I think that's absolutely right but do you think you know efforts that have been uh, put in place particularly over the last year are, are starting to bear bear fruit or at least starting to bear uh, the beginning of, of some fruit maybe? Yes I think they're beginning to bear or to show some buds, right? Like there is an opportunity for progress to be made now, as long as folks don't lose momentum. As we um, continue to look ahead and think about you know, many of the diversity commitments that were made by organizations and individuals, even in their uh, personal or professional goals, not losing sight of that, creating mechanisms for accountability, um, continuing to prioritize these efforts and reevaluate, continuing to have these tough conversations. Um, my, my fear is that this will get back to a numbers game, similar to what Larry mentioned earlier, rather than building an inclusive environment and really addressing these issues um, as they manifest themselves in our work, particularly in our outcomes, but also in our workforce. Um, so I, I think we have our pointed in the right direction and have the opportunity to make a lot of meaningful progress. I just encourage folks not to exhaust this discussion because it will take a long time. This is not an easy fix, right? Um, but to continue to meaningfully and fully engage and to take action and to um, carry the mantle on those individual actions, not just those 
organizational actions, right? Don't lean on your organization hoping that they will uh, advance the aims that they've articulated and do better in those ways. Also, as an individual, carry the personal mantle to give voice to your colleagues, to demand you know, different circumstances and situations that are um, disenfranchising or othering for your colleagues, et cetera. Fantastic. Thank, thanks, Camille. And um, Larry, any any final thoughts there on that on that point in terms of moving in the in the right direction? And I guess, you know, what you think we'll, we'll see going forward and what you hope to see? Yeah. So so I definitely think that um, the needle is being moved. Right. I think that um, mo- there's momentum there. But um, similar to every other initiative that's happened over, you know, decades, um, there we can't let it stop because there's there's not a voice to it we have to continue to stand up we have to continue to utilize platforms like this to communicate it we have to continue to to be a voice to the problem right and 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 call on people right literally call people out to individual action because a lot of times when you have issues such as this People think it's such a big problem that, okay, well, somebody else is going to do it, right? And so what I started doing in 2019 was I started giving individual tips, individual actions that every individual person can take themselves and basically starting to hold individuals accountable instead of looking to larger organizations to take care of the problem. And I think that's one of the things we need to do. We need to, uh, um, as an industry, begin to hold everybody accountable individually to doing their one little part, right? Doing something. Every person every day should be thinking, what am I going to do this week, right, to help change the narrative as it relates to diversity in the field of cybersecurity? Am I going to mentor someone? Am I going to try and help someone get get a role? Am I going to make a better relationship with my HR team so that I can um, change how we write job descriptions that is Uh, um, uh, leaving a large diverse population out because we're putting a college degree as mandatory, right? What is the one thing that I can do each week as an individual? And I think if we continue to push that, if we continue to hold people accountable to that, then we can continue to strive forward and make change. But if we get into the mode of, and we move back to where we were, where people are sitting back and and are saying, yes, this is a problem, but I, I'm not doing anything against it, then right, and figuring it'll figure itself out, then we're going to fall back into you know where we were. And so if you think about every movement that has taken place, regardless of what the movement is, right, it's not just the people that are being impacted by the movement that that are standing up. Every movement that takes hold and remains an issue and at the forefront. You see a rainbow coalition of not just the people being impacted, but all of the other people who believe in the movement. And so for all those who believe that diversity is a problem, we have to continue to stand up. We have to continue to lean forward. We have to continue uh, putting ourselves in uncomfortable situations in an effort to try and change the narrative. And as long as that continues, we will move the ball down the field.
great points made there, Larry. Thanks, thanks so much for for sharing those. And yep, um, totally agree with everything that you've said there, and and Camille as well. So yes, greatly appreciate that that input there. And um, yeah, we're going to have to look to 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 wrap things up to keep an eye on the time there for uh, with this episode and look to bring things to to a close. Um, but obviously, a, a huge thank you to to Larry and Camille for joining us. Uh, really interesting topic. And obviously, one which will be ongoing in terms of discussions. Absolutely. As I mentioned earlier, so this this podcast is very much marking the beginning of our content covering Black History Month in the USA. So make sure you do uh, keep an eye out on our website for further content uh, coming with regards to various topics relating to some uh, important issues. But without further ado, I'll thank you all for joining us for this episode and we'll see you again soon. Thank you for listening to Into Security, the Info Security Magazine podcast. You can find out more information on our news, articles and events at infosecuritymagazine.com.